gathered and just waiting for all the speakers to come on stage. Thanks for being here. Hello. Hey, Jen. Um, Chris, do you see the invite to make you a speaker? Not, I'll send it again. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and um, get the show on the road because I know that it's in the middle of the day. Uh, but okay, I think Chris is going to join back in in a bit. Um, we, we can go ahead and, and get started just with some intros. Hey everyone, um, thanks so much for being here. I, I'm Rebecca, I'm co-founder and CEO here at Saga. And today we are absolutely thrilled to welcome on both Nick White uh, from Celestia and Chris Berniski from Placeholder to talk about the future of modularity and the integrated modular stack. Um, okay. So, so Chris will join in a second. <laughs> um, but first uh, we, we can get started just saying hello. Um, I, I don't think anyone uh, speaking today really needs an introduction, um, but we'll go through all the names so that people can at least say hello uh, to, to the audience here. Um, so first, we're, we're going to start with Nick. Um, so Nick, honestly, out of all the people in the industry, has probably done the most to um, popularize the concept of modularity and to really educate people on it. Um, and you can see all of that success manifest itself at Celestia. Uh, so, Nick, thank you so much for being here today and welcome. Thanks, Rebecca. I'm excited to talk more modular today with you all. So good to be here. Awesome. Thanks for being here. Uh, and let's go to Jin next. Um, so Jin is one of our co-founders here at Saga, co-founder and chief strategy officer. And he wrote the blog post that you see pinned to this Twitter space, uh, which is about where modularity is ultimately headed and how the integrated modular stack fits into that. Um, so, Jin, thanks for um, well, thanks for coming on today and for writing this post. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really excited for this conversation. Awesome. Um, so, Chris will sign on in a sec. Um, he probably needs the least introduction out of all of us. So I think we can go ahead and get started. Uh, and just as go well, because uh, Nick, the first question we're going to send over to you. I'm really just here to just get the conversation flowing today. I don't think any of these gentlemen will lack for words in terms of the future of modularity. Um, so I, I'm going to get started. In Chris is back. Let's, let's see if it works this time. Maybe. All right. In the meantime, Nick, why don't you take us down the lane? Because we're really talking about the future of modularity here. And um, there you go. Chris, can you hear us? I can. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Yes, I can hear you just sure. fine. Thanks for joining. Awesome. Um, so I was throwing the first question to Nick, but I, I'm going to pause for a sec just to give you a chance to say hello to everyone. So guys, Chris needs no introduction, um, but he was an early investor both in Celestia and in us and has seen many um, iterations of the modular thesis and supported some of the best projects in the space. So Chris, thanks so much for being here today. Thanks, Rebecca. Amazing. All right. Um, yeah. So Nick, take us down memory lane. Um, you know, modularity uh, has it's a concept that's been around for a long time, but uh, it wasn't until Celestia came along that people really started to a work on it in earnest uh, and then really pay attention to it. So take us take us back. What was the motivation behind the Celestia project, and um, has that motivation changed over time as you guys have worked more and more on the modular thesis and seen more people join the ecosystem? Uh, but take us take us back. How how did you guys come up with the idea? And um, just give us a tease as to how you have seen it evolve over time. Sure. Um, well, this is one of my favorite topics, obviously. Um, 
Well, <laughs> mo- mo- the, you know, modularity is something that uh, is kind of universal across technology, like well beyond crypto and, and blockchain. And usually it, it kind of arises when a certain like technology is maturing because people start to be able to realize, okay, here are sort of the important components or subcomponents and interfaces of what we're building. And here are, so like, these are sort of the clean abstractions to be building on top of. And let's focus on just building the best uh, sort of uh, functions for, for each one of those abstractions or components. And so uh, there's really no different in, in blockchain. And the, the idea for modularity in blockchains came around in 2019 when um, Sastia co-founder Mustafa uh, published a white paper called Lazy Ledger. And it was a, a starkly different vision for what blockchains uh, can and should be, uh, which was basically that he wanted to build the most minimal layer one blockchain possible. And uh, that's why the, the, the paper is called Lazy Ledger, because the idea was, let's build an L1 that does almost nothing. So rather than doing smart contracts or you know, applications on chain, uh, in, in Lazy Ledger, the blockchain was just, um, just did consensus and data availability. We can maybe explain a little bit more about data availability later. Um, but essentially, think of it as like the most minimal blockchain you could build. And then all the application and execution could happen on a separate layer, a separate component, building on top of this, this base layer. And so um, that vision that started in 2019 became known sort of as, as modular blockchains because you were modularizing, you were separating out the functions of consensus and data availability from execution, which had previously been coupled in every other blockchain design from Bitcoin to Ethereum and Solana, et cetera. So, um, and the advantages you get there are just uh, significantly more scalability. When your L1 is very simple, you can just focus on scaling the block size without having to like execute everything in there. You also get a lot more flexibility because um, you no longer enshrine a specific operating system or, or a virtual machine like the EVM, for example, into the L1. So all of a sudden, you, you as the developer building on top of uh, Celestia can you know, customize that execution model to whatever use case is, is, is most uh, fitting for your application. And so since then, since 2019, um, something that was just sort of like a, you know, I don't know, a dream or like a, a moonshot idea has transformed into something that's very real and is transforming the, um, the blockchain industry as we know it um, in real time. And so I think we're kind of, I think 2024 with the launch of Celestia late last year is a year where we're gonna be able to start to see the impacts of this new vision actually take uh, place and, and demonstrate um, what they're capable of doing. And so um, I think we're, we're, we're on the cusp of, of shipping some really exciting new applications and um, showing, showing the world what the modular blockchains are not just an idea, but they're a reality. Amazing. Thanks so much, Nick. And um, so uh, among all the things that you mentioned there, uh, I, I noticed that there are some things that Celestia has absolutely pioneered. And then obviously, because you're looking at modular chains, there are components that will be coming from other projects potentially. And Saga started a little bit later. I think when we took a look at the landscape, um, the security aspect was what we were particularly interested in. And so I'm going to throw it over to Jen to talk a little bit more about that and how we view modularity here. Yeah, thanks. So on um, the origins are actually very, very similar, I would say, in, in concept. And um, the idea is how do we simplify the, 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 the infrastructure layer, essentially? And um, one of the things that um, me and and various folks within the Saga team kind of saw, especially with the advent of um, Cosmos and app chains that that was proliferating since you know 2019 onto um, uh, until now, is that one of the most difficult part actually of standing up blockchains is is uh, standing up the security. The and this um, issue essentially kind of pervades throughout. Um, uh, of blockchains in general, even when you start modularizing the block production, ultimately the different components, ultimately somebody has to figure out how to secure um, and make redundant all of these operations that are getting split up into these different parts. And so 
from our perspective, our, uh, uh, with Saga, the, the step one essentially was is like, how do we cut that out essentially from the role of the, the developers ultimately um, and make it such that um, you can modularize the security. And, and so the Saga's design ultimately is um, we have a base chain called the Saga mainnet and that's where the security essentially is aggregated. And that security is then shared to all these little pieces of um, chains that are um, um, in our ecosystem. We call them chainlets. And it's, it's very similar to what uh, Nick has mentioned, which is um, how do you modularize and make the L1 as simple as possible? And from our perspective, I think um, the really interesting thing is that like, um, we kind of approached it in two slightly different slices, essentially. One is uh, simplifying, essentially, the block production. And then the other side is simplifying the, the security away from the block production. And so um, um, I would say that that's probably the, the, the genesis of what Saga was as well, which is uh, fascinating to hear because it's, it's, you know, it's slightly different than um, what, what Nick is talking about, but the, the motivations are all ultimately similar. So. Awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, attacking different parts of the stack and I think in terms of the, um, the users that we ultimately service, whether it's other infrastructure providers or application developers, that is also determinative of where we sit um, and where the protocol sits in the modular landscape. So Chris, I want to throw it over to you because your investment in our two projects came a little over a year apart. Um, so how did you originally gain conviction that modularity was the future? And um, has, that, has the nature of that conviction changed over time? Or are you um, still very much seeing the original vision that you had come to fruition? Sure. So, you know, I would say that um, one of the tricky things about being an investor in the crypto space is everything is possible. It's just a matter of when. And so you need to get uh, sequencing right in um, when you invest in things and when the time is right for them. So often, you know, what we see if we just look at information technology more broadly is you'll start with... Um, and this applies to like, you know, say the different eras of information technology over the last many decades, but often you'll see a kind of like um, vertically integrated proof of concept or, or what is later thought of as a proof of concept, but it's vert vertically integrated to just show people what's possible. You need to stitch together all the component parts um, to even show people, okay, look, this is what you can do. And that gets everyone very excited. And that's the beginning is often uh, vertically integrated. From there, people start to look at the component parts of that vertically integrated stack and say, hey, I can optimize this. Hey, I can optimize that. And if you try and um, you know, hold that whole stack together um, through that period of like hyper development, um, it's hard to just have each component keep a pace with the best in class. And so what that means is you go from the early vertically integrated era, which can last you know, a decade plus, and I would argue has been roughly where crypto has been. Like you could argue we're now emerging from this vertically integrated proof of concept era into starting to optimize the component bits of execution, settlement, data availability, which I'm sure we'll, we'll go into more. Um, and so, for example, when we came across uh, the Celestia team and, and began speaking with them in 2021, and Nick had been in my ear about it, in 2020 as well, when it was Lazy Ledger, um, you know, Celestia was the most optimized data availability component in the whole marketplace, right? And um, lowest cost, most decentralized, easiest to verify. And so Celestia was going after that base layer of, of data availability and hyper optimizing that component, right? And so if you're going to start to invest towards, say, this modular stack, you know, that's a very valuable piece of infrastructure. And so we made that investment and we've been working with Celestia since. When we began speaking with Saga, you know, the way we started to think of Saga is, okay, this is, an, this is a reintegration of modular. And that sounds kind of counterintuitive because you could be like, hey, Chris, didn't you just say like you start vertically integrated and then go modular? Um, but the way that we think of it is like the ecosystem that's forming around Celestia is extremely exciting. And, and we're seeing optimization at the execution layer and the DA layer. And, and we'll see, you know, settlement is more a result of success rather than a pathway to success. But, you know, Ethereum is benefiting from, from that. But the interesting thing is 
it's all evolving so quickly that it can be hard for a lot of developers that want to um, you know, reach scale right now this year. Um, it can be hard for them to just keep a pace with the level of in, uh, the pace of innovation. And so this is where someone like Saga that comes in and you know, integrates or stitches together modular pieces um, and allows for you know, the provisioning of, of chainlets, which are basically mini blockchains like you provision smart contracts, that starts to get very interesting for say game developers or application specific developers. And so for us, you know, there's the potential that Saga is Cosmos or Polkadot realized because it's um, much easier to launch um, a, a chainlet than it is to launch a parachain or um, you know an entirely sovereign network on on Cosmos. And um, there's a lot of Cosmos background in the Saga team and actually in the Celeste team for what it's worth. But so you know, it's just a matter of um, sequencing. We think that both uh, both Saga and Celestia are are very important, and um, you know, Celestia is at that base layer, um, building out our ecosystem rapidly, uh, uh, very much future looking. Um, and I'm sure Nick will uh, say, "Hey, no, Chris, you're wrong. Some of it is now," and he's he's going to be correct too. Um, and then you know, Saga with 300 plus uh, games or, or or teams in development is even more focused on, say, integrating that modular promise into reality now. Thanks so much, Chris. Incredibly insightful. And um, this Twitter space is being recorded, uh, especially for the benefit of those in our community who are based in Asia. It's the middle of the night for them, so they'll listen to the recording later. And for all the Cosmos and Polkadot people out there, uh, don't at me. Um, you know, this, is, this is Chris's opinion. Yeah, we sh secretly share it as well. But um, I, I really appreciate that, Chris. Uh, so let's let's talk about um, what people are looking for now and developers in particular. Um, so I, I think you know what you highlighted there is that Celestia and Saga really sit in different parts of the stack and all the developers who come to us have slightly different perspectives on what they're looking to build. Um, so all of us here are quite um, intimately familiar with the developers who are building on our respective protocols. Uh, we hear about their needs and requirements day in and day out. So Nick, I, I wanna throw it back to you actually for a second. Um, what are you hearing from uh, the ecosystem? What, what, what is it that your developers are looking to, to do on Celestia, especially now that you guys are live? That's a great question. It, it's, it's a bit layered for us because, um, you know, Celestia it's on its own, right, is not, uh, necessarily useful always to an end developer. There needs to be an execution layer or shared sequencers or other modular components that get packaged in to um, kind of become like a finished product that you can run, uh, you know, an end user application on top of. So in that sense, there are a lot of teams that we work with, you know, who build those other components. who are also kind of working on infrastructure, whether those are teams in the Ethereum rollup ecosystem, like Arbitrum or Optimism or Starkware, et cetera, or, um, or Polygon. There's also teams that are building shared sequencers like Astria and Rollup as a service teams. Anyway, there's just a bunch of like other infrastructure developers that we that we collaborate with very closely. But I think your question was more geared towards the, the end application developers. And uh, since we launched in uh, late last year, we've had over 10 Rollups uh, deploy on Celestia. And there's a there's a range of different sort of applications, but some of the most exciting ones have been things like uh, Avo, which are uh, DeFi options, the DeFi options protocol. Um, <clears throat> we've had teams like Manta, which is a, a zk oriented um, rollup that enables new like privacy and uh, randomness features natively because of its custom execution. And uh, essentially, one of the main things that we're seeing is, is like two two things that they're very excited about. The first is scale. So Celestia is something that is offering. It's sort of like the bandwidth, uh, sorry, sort of like the broadband moment for Web three in a sense. In that we've been operating in a world where there isn't a fully scalable, uh, trust minimized base layer to build on top of, and that's kind of uh, just limited the types of things that people can build and uh, driven costs up to be uh, sort of like not really uh, sort of, uh, I guess, uh, make certain use cases less feasible. 
And so these teams that, that have launched on top of Celestia are benefiting from drastically lower uh, operation and like uh, fees, essentially, operating costs. And they pass on those savings to their users as well as they are able to capture some of those in their sequencer fees and recycle those into development or into their DAOs to improve the overall product. So that's one of the massive ones that, that, that we hear a lot about. And the other one is, is flexibility in that um, because the, the stack is modular and you can deploy your own chain, you have the control to, to customize it to what is you know, the best use case for you. And I think you know, Manta is a good ex- example of that where they are running an EVM execution environment, but they've added custom opcodes that enable it to be uh, very, uh, like, like gives it new features that basically you can't get uh, if, you, if you've deployed directly on Ethereum, for example. So it, like we're enabling a lot of like exploration and, and uh, experimentation of new use cases. And I think a lot of uh, teams are very excited by that because they see the opportunity to build new user experiences or new applications fundamentally that you know, just can't be built on something like Ethereum or Solana today. Yeah, that's great, Nick. Thank you. Um, and it's true, given the flexibility of your protocol, it can be slotted into multiple parts of the stack and can be really responsive to a lot of different developer needs out there. But uh, the last thing that you said really resonated with, I'm sure everybody on the Saga team, but me personally, um, which is that, frankly, a lot of blockchain applications had been constraining their design choices, particularly in gaming, uh, in order to account for the fact that the base infrastructure just wasn't there uh, to support their needs. Um, and now I, I think the beautiful thing is that we're seeing a lot of these developers change up their designs um, because they know that the scalability is there, the infra is there to support them. Um, in our case, transactions are costless on the front end, um, which is uh, highly facilitative to all of their economic models. Um, but it's, it's awesome that um, we're all converging in this direction. Uh, so, um, Jen, I wanted to throw it over to you because you spent a lot of time with our developers as well. I mean, many of the themes that Nick was talking about, we hear as well in our developer community. But it is true that Saga pretty squarely works with application developers. So um, what are some of the differences that that are kind of jumping to mind immediately, given our two different perspectives? But also, you know, what are some of the things that we just have in common as base protocols? Yeah, yeah. This is this is actually really interesting because. Um, yeah, I've been, I've been like dabbling in understanding kind of the, the differences between all the different modular approaches and like where, where it it converges into. And so, um, what Nick said is actually, uh, exactly kind of the, the, the key difference I would say between, um, the two. So from our perspective, most of our, um, direct customers are those people who are application builders and they essentially want their own um, kind of space to build ultimately. And while we can have customers who are, um, you know, like, like layer two equivalent, which is like, hey, I want to create a marketplace for more block space ultimately. That is possible on Saga. That's not like our, our, our primary method of uh, 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 developer acquisition ultimately. And, um, uh, and that's a little bit more secondary essentially. And so um, it, it, just to hear like Nick's, uh, conversation about how, uh, you know, that difference actually is, is pretty, um, well, it's much more clear, at least to my head too, is, um, uh, from Celestia's point of view, it does make sense that, um, uh, they they would have a lot of customers who are more themselves infrastructure providers essentially. And, uh, because those folks are able to kind of acquire their own security essentially through either, uh, reputation or through, other means essentially, um, uh, they will, they need essentially like a, a, a modular stack in which to get more affordable data availability, which, um, I would translate to uh, transaction storage essentially. And so, um, th- that's actually fascinating in my head. Um, the difference between the two, two approaches ultimately. Yeah. And so this, this all, uh, comes fundamentally because of, um, what we have decided to modularize, right? It's very interesting um, because in Saga, the idea here was, um, uh, you know, security as a concept is something that's gated away uh, into 
um, people who are infrastructure developers is like the fundamental thesis of Saga. And it's like, hey, let's break that apart. Why don't we make a, a layer in which um, we provide security for the developers and they don't have to worry about the difficult task of actually provisioning the security. Um, and what naturally comes from that is then end developers can develop uh, kind of their own chains directly on top of Saga without uh, uh, worrying about um, th that difficult task, essentially. Um, and, and, and that kind of fundamental design decision from day one is, I think, is specifically why there's a, there is a very slight difference in, in, in target audience specifically in terms of developer. And it, it's very um, um, interesting to hear, actually, the differences between the two. And I think both models are very um, uh, compatible in that um, there will be folks who uh, want essentially the automated provisioning of security from Saga eventually, but also want the, the block production to be separated out. And so that's, I think, where uh, there's this Venn diagram essentially of uh, two different kinds of modular ideas. And there's a meeting point in the middle where I think would be really interesting, uh, where both teams are trying to figure out essentially how to modularize both the security aspect of it and the block production aspect of it at the same time. Um, but I think that's, that's um, something that's, that's probably a little bit later down the line, but um, uh, I think I find that really fascinating. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that uh, all the best laid plans of any project out there, um, they absolutely splinter once uh, your, your solutions hit the market, because that's when your developers will tell you whether you're building something that's actually useful for them. And um, I'm sure Nick agrees with this as well. Uh, is as soon as your developers start to tell you what's missing in your product, that's when you fully understand how it's going to um, develop in the future. And I think a lot of our respective approaches have been born out of that. Um, but Chris, I want to throw it to you for a second because you're hearing all these different perspectives from both Nick and Jen as to the parts of the stack that we feel can be modularized. Um, and I know that previously you have said at Placeholder, when you guys invest in projects that you think have the potential to be platforms, then you take a very sort of aircraft carrier-like approach to thinking about their ecosystems. So hearing all these different perspectives, I mean, obviously rich um, for uh, material to construct an aircraft carrier and an ecosystem around it, but there are so many options. So I know you're incredibly thoughtful about portfolio construction. Um, how have you thought about it over the last year? Sure. Well, I would say that, um, you know, we first had the aircraft carrier approach with Ethereum and, um, you know, so the aircraft carriers, you buy the body of the beast, which is, you know, in the Ethereum case, ETH, and then you support the venture ecosystem around it. So, you know, placeholder brought ZK Sync to market or Balancer or UMA or very early MakerDAO and so on and so forth. And then we've done something similar with Solana uh, over 20. 22 and 2023 and um you know now both of those kind of ecosystems are, are playing out and that leads placeholder to look to where's next and um you know because it's kind of like once an ecosystem starts to break away valuations multiply quickly um you know if you're disciplined on valuations it just requires that you look further out on the adoption curve or see things that most of the market is not seeing yet um, and so, you know, I would say that we have made investments in the core of, you know, Saga or the core of Celestia, and um, we're staying abreast of those ecosystems. As those ecosystems are still coming together, um, you know, we have not made a, a wide number of investments on top of them. Um, and, and, you know, there are ongoing conversations, I would, I, I would say. Um, with teams uh, related to to both ecosystems, um, but often you know you see us do that in the most concentrated way in the first bear market after the first big bull market for for a new network, and the reason for that is um, that you know a first bull market, which you know Celestia is in the midst of going through, and Saga is going to go through as well here, um, that tends to be a, a point in time where, um, you know, financial cap capital hits this pace of frenzy that outpaces the actual reality. Now, what's really exciting about that is 
there's a bunch of capital formation that funds innovative ideas that gets a lot of experimentation going and it gives you a window into the future it's ultimately a little bit of a delusional window because um you know again financial capital always outpaces the reality and then when we recompose from that often with a painful crash um you can go through and you having gotten a window into the future in the frenzy you can go through and support the really core quality teams um that are doing things in such a way that you know are going to scale you know they're committed because also backing a team in a bear market versus a bull market is a very different dynamic um we often talk about entrepreneurs have bull brain in in a bull market and it just leads to different behaviors and relationships with the vc and we much prefer to establish relationships in a bear market where there's uh just generally a lot more humility around the table and so i would say that's how placeholder is approaching you know the 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 current point in time uh which is a bit of a non answer um but it is also uh related to portfolio construction and uh timing uh within cycles Yeah, thanks for that, Chris. I, I think you know, the the name of the game in, in any of these is you can share what you can share. Um, but I I think for our innovators in the ecosystem out there, they were hearing two years from now. So two years from now, guys, we can we can pass your pitches on to a placeholder. <laughs> but um, at any rate, uh, no, thanks for that. Uh, so let's let's talk a little bit about. Um, Let's circle back to sort of the developer focus because at the end of the day, as a base protocol, that is what you obsess about. Um, so since, um, since Celestia really started to lean into the modular thesis, uh, we have seen a lot of the, the different parts of the modular landscape really, really, really take off. Um, so proliferation of L2s, um, rollups as a service solutions, all the developer tooling around that. Um, so Nick, for you guys, when you quote unquote make a sale, so when you bring on um, a new rollup or you, when you bring on a new application, what does that look like? Um, is it that you are offering a menu of options to the developers or do you sort of have an internal map within Celestia as to, okay, like we think based on our expert um, uh, expert experience, this is, this is what's best um, for this particular app. I mean, We'll just talk us through how, how you guys are thinking about that. And the reason why I'm framing the question that way is I think it'll be quite informative as to how um, Celestial ultimately thinks of all the stakeholders within its ecosystem. Good question. So again, Celestia is a little unique, right? We're not your typical L1 in the sense that, you know, Ethereum and Solana, uh, for example, as more standard monolithic L1s, they have a much more direct relationship with the application developer um, and they, they kind of have a full service uh, offering I guess and I think this is that, that, that that's there's advantages to that but also disadvantages um, you know the advantages are that it's like a much clearer kind of like end product um, you know whereas because all like the decisions are already made for the developer it's like here's what we have take it or leave it uh, maybe you can like you know choose a different wallet to build with or, or you know there's certain things that you can do on a monolithic chain i guess that like there are choices to be made but they're they're very very limited in scope and not that meaningful whereas in a modular stack <clears throat> you know there's actually there's there's so many options to choose from um and and i think that can be uh, a positive and a negative it's a, it's a positive in the sense that for your your power developer you know who wants that optionality who has a big vision um, who who really knows like what yeah what what they're what they're what they're what they're trying to build? It gives them superpowers, and so from that perspective, you know, really Celestia's job is not to be prescriptive, but actually to just to say, you know, here's the here's the whole ecosystem and and wide range. It's like a buffet of all these different options to choose from, and um, they, they can go and 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 pick from that. And the, the other good thing about this is that um, actually Celestia doesn't necessarily, you know, the one even talking to or recruiting these teams, you know, the, the, the rollup frameworks are out there, the rollups as a service teams are out there, the um, shared sequencer teams are out there, all talking to end developers as well. And so it's, it's not just like the ecosystem scales uh, much more rapidly for that reason, because it's not, uh, you know, Celestia is not a bottleneck necessarily. 
And so I think that's that's another superpower. Now, the, the downside is that sometimes the um, proliferation of options makes it a little bit daunting to someone who doesn't have a clear, you know, have to educate yourself on what all these things mean, what all the different trade-offs between the different components are. And that can be a very confusing, you know, developer experience when someone just wants to hit the ground running. Um, now, the good thing about the, the thing about that is that there are a lot of just sort of like, you know, the most popular roll-up frameworks out there, like the Optimisms or Arbitrums, et cetera, that work out of the box very easily. And in fact, um, you know, there are platforms like uh, Caldera and Conduit where you can literally just click a few buttons and deploy your own roll-up. So there is a very much a happy path uh, developer experience option where it's like, hey, this is, you know, I just want, I just want a, a vanilla EVM roll-up, boom, you can have it. And so I do think that for, for like the, the developer who doesn't want to have all the headaches of, of these choices, there are ways for them to, um, to just like hit the ground running. And I think the other disadvantage is that for now, at least, <clears throat> you know, the, the standards in terms of the interfaces are not uh, fully defined yet. And I think that's good because it's, it's probably smart to like give it more time for these to emerge organically. We're still very early in the early innings of modularity, but um, what that means is that we, we do kind of need these roll-up as a service teams to actually be the system integrators, if you will, uh, of, of, these, of these architectures, of these components to make it so that they all, make sure that they all fit together into an end product. And I think without that, um, it would be up to the, 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 the roll-up builder to have to like plug these pieces together and debug stuff and, and it wouldn't be uh, a very enjoyable experience or easy experience for them. So that's sort of like the, the pros and cons as I see it. Yeah, fascinating yep. actually. Yeah, and you know, the, the funny thing about this is like, um, uh, ours is like almost inverted, right? So um, the pros obviously is um, you, you essentially have the easiest way to just deploy something. Um, but when someone wants a very specific uh, consensus level feature on their chain, um, you know, chainlets, for example, for Saga are all currently, at least as we, as we stand, is, is, is a standardized tech stack, essentially. And so um, when someone wants to put something kind of new uh, um, that's not uh, uh, the same as everyone else's, it, it requires a little bit more uh, uh, planning from, from our perspective. And so the pros and cons are actually like almost entirely inverted, which is actually very uh, funny, right? So um, uh, from, from, from our stack as well. And so there's, there's some amount, uh, eventually what, we'll, what we will all see, I think, is uh, the, the, the two products and the two architectures will merge somewhere in the middle because um, you do not want essentially a, uh, like a rigid but easy to spin up um, uh, model or uh, inversely, you don't want something that's a little too daunting and too flexible. And so um, uh, there will be like a, like, a, like a gamut that runs in between the two essentially where both uh, ultimately will kind of converge towards. And um, I think a lot of technical collaboration will happen in that convergence essentially, which is like uh, really neat in my opinion. No, absolutely. And I think this is probably a good time to um, shed some light on why we're all here together on this Twitter space. So uh, apologies, guys, I probably should have um, given this as a preamble, but it, it wasn't just the case that all um, three gentlemen here said modular one day and decided to put them on Twitter space together. Uh, so we have Celestia and Saga, we have um, a partnership dating back to God, like January last year. Uh, where we recognized the need to start decentralizing um, these rollups. And I mean, our chainlets were fully decentralized proof of stake chains from the beginning. Uh, so this is a subject matter that we knew something about. Uh, and that's what the partnership is based off of. Um, so uh, what is the difference between a rollup that is supported by a single sequencer versus decentralized sequencers? Um, there's, there's quite a lot more um, that a chain, that a proper chain can do, obviously. Um, from the perspective of an application builder, the thing that we've heard um, surface is is bridging. Uh, at the end of the day, they um, really want their assets to be able to traverse multiple ecosystems as quickly as possible. And that's probably something that Saga can uniquely do. Anyways, um, just wanted to put that out there in case everyone was wondering, you know, why why is it uh, that, that we're putting these two projects together? 
um, on a space today to talk about the future of modularity. But um, uh, let's, I mean, we're spending so much time um, within um, sort of the modular landscape, really, really honing in on the benefits of the infra, um, obviously, you know, two very complementary but different philosophies on how to approach the, the developer requirements. Uh, but let's, let's step back a bit. Um, and Chris this is really what um, what you do best, uh, which is you know, define the North Star. Um, you've invested in so many of these different types of stacks, and we're spending time in the modular world today, but you've also invested in parallel EVM L1s as well that are coming up. Um, so I, I, I know it's your job to, to think about, okay, when are these technologies going to be sequentially released? Um, but ultimately, there is a North Star, and what would that be for you? Well, and I think this question is specific to the North Star for Saga. Um, which is going to be different from the the North Star for Celestia, but but just on the North Star for Saga, you know, go, going to the the back and forth Jane and Nick just had, you know, I I really see this as like a spectrum of modular, and it's kind of like Celestia is hyper composable modular, um, or really it should be hyper customizable modular, um, and then. Um, Saga is is kind of at least right now like easy mode modular, um, more out the box modular, and it's gonna just one is not strictly better than the other. It's just gonna appeal to different developer sets. And as Nick was saying, like Celestia is so um, customizable that you know it provides use to further infrastructure providers, right? And um, Saga being more out the box. I think it's going to appeal in greater share to application builders. And I think it's, you know, no surprise that there's a strong gaming ecosystem that's forming around Saga. And, you know, gaming is one of these things that has been talked about forever in crypto. I mean, I've been a professional in space for about 10 years now. And, um, you know, you see these trends where it's like you see something talked about for so long that eventually people just get exhausted of it or stop believing it's going to happen. And then that tends to be the time which it happens. And I think that could be the case for, for gaming here. I mean, you had a boom of NFTs in 2021. They weren't that interesting, but it was kind of the frenzy of NFTs that formed, you know, led to a lot of capital formation. It's led to a lot of experimentation in 22 and 23. And here we are in 24. And NFTs are a key part of um, the, the, the gaming ecosystem here. And so what I could see happening for Saga is like, if you look at a lot of the game builders, and just gamers generally, they don't care about the underlying tech, right? They don't care about the choices that are being made. What they care about is, you know, their experience in the game. Some of them, you know, maybe care about being able to port their reputation between games or port assets that they've, you know, accrued spending hundreds or thousands of hours in one game into another game. There's all kinds of interesting things that you can start to do from the gaming perspective, if you make these worlds interoperable and the space time that a gamer spends in these different worlds interoperable. But to do that, you need a shared settlement layer of you know, identity, of assets, of state um, in, in the general sense. And so you know, with what SOG is building, I see it as, as potentially being you know, a breakthrough for, for a lot of game builders and gamers themselves, um, where, you know, that's out the box modularity. So you're not dealing with the noisy neighbor problem. You can get the performance that you need. Um, but there's also built in settlement between um, game assets if it's all settling down into, into Saga itself. So that's something that I'm very curious to see. And especially given a lot of, um, you know, your remarkable bit BD efforts, Rebecca, and just the broader team, you know, I know that's been a focus where you guys have taken a risk, you know, going outside of crypto and trying to bring these people into the blockchain world, not through the front door, but through the back door in, in that it's like, okay, you know, here are the benefits of the technology. You don't do it, you know, to say it's a blockchain or crypto game. You do it because it's better for both the game developer and the gamer. Yeah, thanks so much for that, Chris. Um, I'm going to throw it over to Jen in a second to talk more about the game developer experience on Saga. Uh, but I, yeah, it, you're absolutely right. It was a risk because as crazy as the crypto subculture is, gaming is equally crazy, if not crazier, just because there are more people in it. It is more developed. And um, there have been just pockets of crazy that have proliferated over time. 
But uh, you're absolutely right that the game developers really don't care. I mean, for them, blockchain is a new revenue opportunity. Um, and the sooner you give them access to it, uh, obviously, the more loyal they will be, uh, which I mean, that ultimately has been our objective here. And the reason we've been able to amass this ecosystem is that we have just obsessed about their needs and delivered on them. Um, but Jin, Jin can talk a little bit more about the specifics yeah, around so that. For, um, this is exactly kind of the, the thesis around how we wanted to expand our ecosystem ultimately is that um, our, our uh, thesis is that, well, it's not a thesis, I guess. It's our um, understanding is that the, the current blockchain ecosystem is pretty small compared to what it will become. And in order for us to, people always talk about, hey, when does mass adoption of blockchain come? When does mass adoption of crypto come? Um, mass adoption happens when you start reaching out to those people who are not Web3 native and you bring them in. And so, um, uh, especially in the, the gaming developer world, like they really do not understand how, uh, you know, like consensus work and how infrastructure functions ultimately. And so we, um, we had to build essentially a, a, a product kind of like uh, Saga in order for us to attract them because they themselves are not infrastructure developers ultimately. They're not going to be ones, you know, making a, 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 like a layer two and securing it and, 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 and putting their, you know, um, operations on launching a chain ultimately. And so um, we needed to opt operationalize all of that. And so that's, that's kind of the, 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 the interesting design decision that has come from um, our, our early product decisions as well. And we've kind of found ourselves uh, uh, kind of gravitated toward this position because, um, uh, because of that early product decision that we made. Um, but um, also, I'm actually kind of curious, Chris, um, to hear, uh, Chris and Nick, I guess, the, the North Star for, for Celestia as well. And I know you said it's different from Saga ultimately. And so I wanted to just hear, hear, hear that aspect as well, actually. Sure. I would defer to Nick first. <laughs> well, I kind of I kind of want to hear Chris first to hear uh, his interpretation. Oh, I don't know if he's going to you know, just echo what I say. Uh, uh, caught red-handed. Brutal. Um, so, you know, when we started speaking with the Celestia team, um, what really grabbed us if, if you go back to what I was saying at the very beginning of the space around um, the components of a fully modular space, in order to win a component layer, um, you need to be thin in functionality, but universally applicable. And what was amazing about Celestia, is it's very simple protocol, similar to actually how Bitcoin itself is a very simple protocol. Um, but in that simplicity, there's uh, near universal applicability as a data availability layer. And so the way we see it is um, the block space that Celestia provides, you know, assuming you're willing to go through the customization. And again, like it's going to get easier and easier to launch things on top of Celestia. And this is what Jin was saying of like somewhat of a convergence as more infrastructure providers build on top of Celestia and make it easier for say a normie dev. But at the base of that, um, Celestia's um, simplicity um, should allow it to remain the cheapest, most easily verifiable uh, DA block space, right? And, and if that continues to be the case, um, then it will just continue to win out over, you know, the competing DA layers that are now, you know, basically upstarts trying to compete with Celestia. Um, and then the other thing is, and, and Nick can speak to this more, more technically, but actually the amount of data that uh, Celestia can uh, support actually scales with the number of nodes supporting the network. And so that's true scalability in a way that we haven't seen yet with the, the monolithic designs. And so that's also very exciting because we are still orders of magnitude away from true web scale. And so you need things that actually scale with the number of nodes and, and Celestia is um, set up to allow for that. Very well articulated. I will <clears throat> sort of start from the top and, and go down in terms of like the, the vision and the North Star. The, the top level North Star for us is that, you know, with, as with everyone, I think in the space, we see blockchains as this new coordination mechanism that can 
know, unlock new levels of prosperity and equality and just beautiful things for humanity on the whole. And our contribution to that is we think it's really important to make it uh, as easy as possible for people to build uh, blockchains. And so um, one of the, the, the vision statements that we repeat often is make it as easy to deploy a blockchain as it is to deploy a smart contract. So we want to make it, we want to democratize access to this technology and make it as useful and functional as possible. Now within Celestia specifically, there's sort of three uh, sort of parts within how we achieve that. The first one is that we, we believe that to make this technology universally access, accessible, we need to have abundant block space. So we are, and this is something Chris mentioned, but one of our uh, key objectives is to just massively, massively scale uh, block space for Web3. So the sort of like the first major milestone we want to get to is one gigabyte blocks. And, and if we were able to scale to one gigabyte blocks, that would be the equivalent of something like five, mount, five million TPS or something like that, if you assume that each transaction is around 200 bytes. So we want to get there first. But even beyond that is sort of eventually where we want to go, where we think that at, at those levels of scale, we can actually have like Web3 operating at a global scale. The second one is we want to have, um, especially to be like, a, a, you know, one of the main ways that secure rollups, we want to have a million or more rollups deployed on top of Celestia. So that's all about like, you know, building out the the associated infrastructure beyond just the, the, the DA layer and, and collaborating and integrating with all these frameworks and, and associated modular components to enable all of the experimentation that we think needs to take place. And then the last one is all about universal verifiability because verifiability is what blockchains Ultimately, that's like the, the unique value proposition is that these are systems that end users, uh, they don't have to trust that they're being uh, operated uh, honestly. They can actually directly audit and verify the chain and the applications they're using. And that's really you know, blockchain superpower. So for us, verifiability is also a massive North Star. So we want to get to our first major milestone along that is to get to 1 billion light nodes. Um, and have a network where there's over a billion people verifying Celestia and, and its associated rollups. And the way we do that is, you know, integrating light nodes into wallets and browsers and directly into people's phones. And so those are sort of like the three, that's like our, our, our North Star, I guess. Uh, just massive scale, preserve verifiability, make it universal, and enable this like modular expansion of all these different applications and use cases within the, the broader modular infrastructure uh, ecosystem. Oh my goodness. Um, Nick, I, uh, I love how you put that because I, it's obviously a very ambitious vision and um, I, I think given the ecosystem that you've built out is entirely possible. Uh, but as you were going through each of those metrics, I, it just really highlighted a theme that has um, become clear today, which is uh, it, you know, you guys are thinking in terms of, okay, how can we make the infra ready to bring on this mass adoption? And Saga is thinking at that high level of mass adoption. I would say, um, so Chris beautifully articulated as to the Saga North Star um, on a conceptual level. Uh, but for me, you know, I'm a numbers person. Um, I stare at that chart of innovators every day uh, to make sure that the number is hitting um, the milestones that we want and uh, the transaction count is healthy, the number of wallets is healthy as well. Um, but uh, people have been more frequently asking me, you know, what, what is Saga's North Star for this particular year? And I'll never forget a conversation that I had with the head of gaming at Samsung, which is another one of our investors. And, um, you know, the, I mean, Samsung is, is a huge conglomerate and Web3 is just a tiny little bit of, um, what they think about every year as this, you know, new innovation. Some gamers really, really hate it. Um, some are curious about it. So what is this Web3 gaming revolution? And um, so this, this guy asked me, uh, for a top Web3 game, how many MAUs, monthly active users, are you guys getting? And I was like, oh, this is so embarrassing, but I'm going to be honest, 50,000. Um, this was in the deep of the bear. So it is better now, but... 50,000, 50,000 MAUs. And he just looked at me like, what is this revolution that people keep telling me about? Because that, that is a game that gets politely shunted off of the Galaxy Play Store because it has been deemed a failure. 
Um, in fact, a game is not going to be supported by Samsung going forward unless it reaches at least 1 million MAUs in its first month. And then it needs to not just retain its gamers, but also grow from there. And a healthy game that Galaxy Play would actually put onto um, its ad channels, distribution, et cetera, is more in the ballpark of five to seven million monthly active users. And in my heart of hearts, I know that this space will not be accepted until we can be competitive with those numbers. So that's my goal is to not only have the infrastructure to enable great games to reach those numbers, um, but ultimately to find those games ourselves. So um, that's what I'm focused on for this year. But it just so highlights the difference, right? Like we are just really, really laser focused on the user numbers. Um, uh, but without uh, partners like Celestia, I, I don't think that we could free ourselves up. Um, to think so much about what the end user experience is going to look like. So I really appreciate all the work that Nick, you, and the entire Celestia team have done. Um, and congrats on a really successful launch. I don't think I've had a chance to say that to you yet, uh, but it's it's been a banner year, six months for you guys. Um, so congrats. Uh, we're coming up to the end of the hour here, unfortunately. Um, so I, I don't know if there's a ton of time for QA. You know how to find us all if you have questions. Um, but any any last words from you guys before we close off? I think it's been a fascinating discussion. I'm all set. I think there was a lot said already on this Twitter space. I'm just going to add thank you uh, for having me. And likewise, Rebecca and Jen, I'm really looking forward to the Saga launch this year. So, um, yeah, looking forward to when you guys finally push the button. Is it this year? What? What is this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I don't know if it's this year. I'm, I'm, hope, everyone a heart I'm hoping it is. <laughs> Sorry. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's this year, guys. Um, so this year, we won't have much longer to wait. Uh, I can see all the comments popping up now. When, when, guys, this is a wonderful discussion um, between three of the leading minds in the space. And um, yes, you won't have much longer to wait for Saga. Um, but I really appreciate uh, all of you being here today. Thank you so much, Chris um, and Nick, for spending some time with us uh, and, and for your friendship and partnership. And thank you all uh, in the community for joining us. Um, once again, the space is recorded. So if you want to revisit anything, you absolutely can. Um, but in the meantime, uh, thanks so much and enjoy the rest of your days. I'll see you guys in the multiverse. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Motherfucker screaming out loud, looking for mercy before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey. What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve mentality stuck in the burbs. I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works, and we'll see what other kinds of trash is under the dirt. We rape and plunder the earth, sit and wonder about the worth and plate. Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served. Motherfuckers walking around here looking faceless Trying to make a living selling friendship bracelets Dead ants dragging out the max amount of payments Red down days got them acting all bankless Yo fam, what? Check these token knocks They probing this bear, flexing broken knots I had to lay my soul down, I'm just roasting knots And then to end a long day, eleven bowls of chronic Never known the politic, I was born to frolic It's been my policy to pollinate all over the plot We got a lot of apologists jumping in at the top We like to measure their velocity before they hit rock bottom over impossible loss, it's all moss and I'm liking the odds. Bond doing the morning, forming mycological bonds. Flick the cap, yo, the road is highly involved. Flip a coin, diary falls. Motherfuckers screaming out loud, looking for mercy. Before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey. What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve mentality stuck in the burbs. I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works, and we'll see what other kinds of treasures under the dirt. We rape and plunder the earth, sit and wonder about the worth and play. Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served Trying to figure out the max amount of dinner They stacked in non-toxic Just to get a better place Smacking on the hostage Like the shit is play for keeps Clowns white knight and all these Maybelines They call it implausible When model after model keeps on Ripping off the coat and going full throttle beats Tearing apart your community All these low hanging fruits Bearing zero liquidity Got a planet in reach Coming standard to each I'm on the back ten stargazing after the siege Commanding all the management to grab a few seats And then we'll round up the beasts And send a messenger east Y'all better sign a release When I'm bumping these beats Hands up if I got motherfuckers drumming the streets Yo, we got a few dubs We got a couple defeats And if you're coming for the king You better have some of each Motherfuckers, motherfuckers screaming out loud Looking for mercy
seen before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey. What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve mentality, stuck in the verbs. I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works, and we'll see what other kinds of treasures under the dirt. We rape and blunder the earth, sit and wonder about the worth and play. Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served. Ten spaces.